0: This episode of Higher Journeys is sponsored by Keen, the world's largest online network of spiritual advisors. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for this sort of special episode of Conscious Commentary. You know, I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, I I want to talk about something that I'm going to call the elephant in the room these days, and it has to do with psychic ability. I believe that we all have it. I believe that we've forever had at least a tinge of it. Some, apparently, for whatever reason, are more psychic than others. We don't know what mechanism makes that so. But for some reason, guys, I will reiterate that in the last year or so, psychic ability for even the most otherwise uninterested person has gone up a ton. People are reporting more synchronicity, more repeating numbers, uh, and many people are getting more interested in understanding how that faculty works. So I thought it would be fun and uh, maybe a little insightful to give you a taste of a book that I had the pleasure of narrating for, I call them the the dynamic duo of synchronicity, Rob and Trish McGregor, who wrote the book, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. It's a great read. I I thoroughly enjoyed uh, narrating the book and I thought it would be really fun to give you a, a taste, maybe even a little bit more than a taste, actually a full chapter of that book where we go into the dynamic of psychic ability. Now the book covers everything from out-of-body experiences to near-death experiences, to repeating numbers, to the history of phenomena, all sorts of phenomena. But I, I thought that this chapter would be apropos for the times. I think it will be helpful for you. We go into, in this particular chapter, and you're gonna hear it in its entirety, narrated by yours truly, we go into areas like precognition, plus how choose, How to become a precog, is that possible? I think it is and I think it's possible now more than ever. We go into uh, the idea of the dreamscape and dreaming the future and how to interpret dreams and I know a lot of you are reporting lately very vivid dreams, very and, and poignant dreams and perhaps precognitive uh, dreams. So the chapter will go into some some very very practical how to's in terms of going about Uh, interpreting your dreams, particularly dreams of the future. We also talk about, uh, in this particular chapter, divining. And I know that's a big subject. Divination. It's been around forever. And we have done some shows on this in the past. But in this chapter, uh, Rob and Trish go into uh, the, the the I Ching or the I Ching tomato, tomato. It's so funny, when I was narrating the book, I had to go to so many references to figure out which way to pronounce it. Nonetheless, very, very powerful and ancient divination tool. The chapter will go into that as well is something called stickomancy. Stickomancy. Now, interestingly, the episode, the full episode that we just did with uh, Cynthia Sue Larson, I'm going to put a little image up here so you can see and want you to go and watch that episode. We brought up, or she actually brought up, stickamancy. What is that? Essentially, stickamancy, and I'm going to show you, is the process of picking a book, any book. I just did this recently, by the way, and basically thumbing through the book. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but essentially you're going to thumb through the book, open it where you feel you need to, and stab your finger to see if, where it lands and if it has a particular message to give you. I think this is a very powerful tool. Divination, That this section of the chapter I think is very revealing because it's something that anyone can do and we can use virtually any tool to do it. The other thing we go into briefly, and I'm gonna show you some cards here, uh, this is the Psychic uh, Tarot Oracle Deck by John Holland, another great show that we did with, with John. I'm gonna recommend this, I'm gonna put a link to this, you guys, this is a great uh, deck. I think this is a bestseller of his, as well as as the Energy Oracle cards. I've been getting into the Tarot and Oracle lately. I don't know where this came from. I never thought it would happen, actually, but I'm enjoying it and I'm learning so much from it. Look, the bottom line is this. I'm going to say it again. We are living at a metaphysically potent time. I will say it perhaps every show going forward. Let's harness it. I believe this chapter will help you get started in that process. There's something going on. And by the way, guys, I'm actually going to get into, uh, in future shows, uh, I have some ideas about really talking about if we're living at a time when the metaphysical world is, is, is far more open and available to so many more of us, what is the agent that's making that so? I am determined to have at least a little bit more of an understanding because it's applicable to our lives if we understand that something has happened that has opened up our capacity to touch these invisible realms that which we're connected to anyway well we might as well figure out how to use it and maybe this is the mandate that we are to walk in this way uh getting back to who we really are so i thought that putting the chapter and uh rob and trish were kind enough to allow me to do that so you could hear me narrating it uh for the entire chapter would be helpful for you. By the way, I'm also going to have a the, the written version, the text of that entire chapter available on Patreon. So if you'd like to support uh, uh, Higher Journeys and become a part of the membership, we've got lots of great stuff, lots of after shows. Obviously that's what our channel, or I always call it a channel, our Patreon platform is uh, typically uh, known for. But I'm going to post the written version of the chapter called future knowing from the book phenomena. So you can kind of go back and take a look at some of the areas that piqued your interest in, and really kind of hone in on uh, the areas that you want to work on. So there you go. Without further ado, here it is yours truly narrating future knowing from the book phenomena by Rob McGregor and Trish McGregor. Enjoy. Chapter four, future knowing. What you got son, I call it shining on. The Bible calls it having visions, and there's scientists that call it precognition. I've read up on it, son. I've studied on it. They all mean seeing the future. Stephen King, The Shining. A sense of knowing. It's known as precognition and presentiment, but these visions of future events are more commonly referred to as premonitions or omens. It's an ability that many of us associate with psychics card readers, fortune tellers. However, we don't need to look elsewhere for hints about what is to come. Frequently, when a premonition comes to us, it involves a particular incident, something troubling, unknown, or settling. When the answer appears as insight, it's often accompanied by an uncanny sense of knowing, a sentiment that on the surface might seem unlikely and illogical. In The Intention Experiment, Using Your Thoughts to Change Your Life and the World, author and researcher Lynn McTaggart suggests that the future already exists in some nebulous state we actualize in the present. Former Stargate remote viewer Joe McMonigle thinks that his future self sends requested information back in time to him. He explains in his book, Mind Track, in other words, at some point in the future, I will come to know the answer to whatever question has been put to me in its accurate form. That is when I send it back to myself in the past. We had a cat named Fox who disappeared one day. When a couple of days passed and she was still missing, Trish was certain something had happened to her. She wasn't just lost, but maybe she was injured or killed. Another day or two passed and no one who lived in our building had seen the cat. That's when Rob blurted, Fox will return by midnight Saturday. He felt an uncanny certainty about it. Three days later, a couple of minutes before midnight on Saturday, our next-door neighbor knocked at the door, holding a tabby in her arms. She told us she'd just spotted Fox in the courtyard outside our door. Her paws were covered with cuts, like she'd been clawing to get out of something. She also smelled of perfume, as if a woman had been holding her. In another instance, Rob lost his billfold in a neighborhood lake while windsurfing. He'd forgotten to take it out of his pocket, yet, in the aftermath, he refused to cancel his credit cards and order a new driver's license. Again, he'd experienced an odd sense of knowing. Illogical as it seemed, he was convinced the billfold would be returned to him. Maybe it wasn't lost in the lake after all, he told Trish, and would turn up somewhere else. Wishful thinking. The wallet was definitely at the bottom of the lake. We know that because several days after losing it, a man who was fishing with a net scooped it up. He called Rob, and the next day Rob went to his house and recovered the wallet with cash and cards intact. Adding to the unlikely convergence of events, Rob had met the man a week earlier when he'd come to our house seeking business for his landscaping company. What is the source of this feeling? The sense of knowing that an event is going to happen? Dr. Bernard Bightman, a psychiatrist and professor at the University of Virginia, writes in Connecting with Coincidence, There must be mechanisms by which energy information, EI, like this, can be converted into electrical nerve impulses the brain can process into emotion and behavior. Bightman includes a story of a man who drove to a place in the woods where he had never been. He didn't know why he was going there, but when he arrived, he found his sister about to commit suicide. How did the brother feel the danger? How did he know how to get there? He suggests that a map with a GPS like route linked with his brain, but did so outside of the man's awareness. For most of us, these experiences manifest spontaneously and often in strange, complex ways. For artist and writer Adele Aldridge, a particular image of a man was enough to evoke feelings in her that years later reached fruition. Again, It was a sense of knowing that generated the emotional texture that ultimately manifested in a surprising way. Once a week for several years, Adele drove to her psychologist's office near the Metropolitan Museum and on the West Side Highway, past a huge billboard of the Winston Cigarette Man. The image haunted and riveted her, and she realized she hated this man. He struck her as narcissistic and filled with contempt for women. Just seeing his image on that billboard enraged her. Six years later, after she moved to California, she met the Winston man, though she didn't recognize him initially, and got romantically involved with him, lived with him, and all the negative aspects she had sensed about him during those drives when she saw the billboard unfold in their relationship. She had sensed the future in one of the most peculiar ways we've heard about. But that's how precognition works. It uses whatever is readily available to get its message across. The Brain and Precognition In Larry Dossey's book, The Power of Premonitions, he points out that recent research shows that the hippocampus in the brain may be involved in premonitions. It makes sense. The hippocampus is the center of emotion, the autonomic nervous system, and memory. Researchers at Neuroimaging Center at University College London studied five patients with amnesia who had suffered brain infections that had damaged the hippocampus. They could recall the names of relatives, but not past events. When they and a control group were asked to visualize future scenarios, common events like visiting a beach or a pub or meeting up with a friend and to describe what it would feel like, they couldn't do it. The hippocampus-damaged subjects could not describe spatial relationships between objects that were part of the future scenario, and they said little about what they felt like, Dossi writes. The discovery that the hippocampus is involved in visualizing the future may be important in understanding premonitions. This element may be key in understanding the science of precognition, because people who experience it visualize possible future events. Dossi points out that a major difference is that the individual experiencing the premonition often experiences a certainty that the event will occur. The person who visualizes a future event considers it imaginary. The brain may not respect this difference. It has a way of responding as if the imagined event is real. If, for instance, you're lying in the dark, are the only person in the house, and hear noises that sound like a door opening, then like footsteps. It's possible that you're imagining it, but your brain doesn't know that. It reacts as though the event is real and releases stress hormones that prepare you for the real thing. Is the hippocampus in people who experience precognition more active and ramped up than the hippocampus in people who never experience it? Eleanor McGuire, the same researcher who conducted the experiment with the amnesic patients, performed MRIs on 16 London cab drivers she found that the rear region of their hippocampuses were uniformly larger than that of the 50 individuals in the control group. As Dossie explains, becoming a licensed cabbie in London isn't easy. Drivers have to learn the knowledge, as it's called, which includes up to 25,000 street names and the locations of all the major tourist attractions. Cabbies must know not only how to get somewhere, but they must know the most direct route possible. This knowledge usually takes three years of training. The longer a cabbie is on the job, the larger that region of the hippocampus became. When the BBC News featured Maguire's discoveries, some cab drivers came forth and said their experiences as cab drivers made them better at everything from business decisions to mathematics. Maguire is against GPS devices in London cabs. We believe this area of the brain increased because of the huge amount of data they have to memorize. If they all start using GPS, that knowledge base will be less, possibly affect the brain changes we're seeing. Dossi points out that GPS devices may not be the only inhibitors of precognition when it comes to technology. Practically instantaneous information on everything from the weather to stocks to who will win the Super Bowl may inhibit our natural precognitive ability as well. So, what's the solution? Realistically, Most of us won't go off the grid. But perhaps if we unplug for brief periods every day and spend a few minutes envisioning and visualizing the future we hope to create, it will help develop whatever precognitive abilities we have. On the other hand, maybe you don't have to unplug. All of us have access to precognition through any type of altered state. In January 2016, Trish was trying to recall the last time she'd had a precognitive experience of any kind. There had been a few small things, mostly through impulses or remembered snippets of dreams. Then she remembered that in October 2015, during one of Rob's meditation classes, she had set an attention before the class. She asked to receive information about when her novel would sell. It had just started making the rounds with publishers that month. Toward the end of the class, when she was in a really relaxed and receptive state, several words popped into her head. Around New Moon, November 11th. She knew that New Moon would be in Scorpio, her rising sign, and felt hopeful. In astrology, New Moons are always about new beginnings, new opportunities, new doors opening. Opportunities often come out of nowhere. And when one falls into your sun or moon sign or in the sign of your ascendant, the opportunities that manifest themselves are usually really good ones. Two weeks after a new moon, there's a full moon the time of harvest and completion. We often receive news on or around the time of a full moon. So, on November 11th, she kept waiting for the phone to ring or for her agent to email her that the novel had sold. Instead, she received an email from mystery writer Nancy Pickard suggesting that she write a short story for Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. So Trish did. She submitted it, then felt annoyed that her apparent precognition about the sale of her novel hadn't panned out. For the next few days, she remained hopeful, since the new moon energy can manifest itself for a few days on either side of the actual date. But by November 14th or so, she started wondering what that impression she'd gotten during meditation was really about. Then, on the evening of December 9th, about 36 hours before the new moon in Sagittarius, she received an email from the editor at Ellery Queen, saying she would like to buy the story. From this, Trish learned that her original impression about a new moon sale was correct. It meant a sale, but not necessarily of her novel, and not necessarily by or on the next new moon. But the November 11th date was important, because that was when Nancy had suggested she write the short story the magazine bought shortly before December's new moon. In other words, Nancy's suggestion was the opportunity, but it was up to Trish to take the action. Back in October, when she'd had the impression she didn't have any intention of writing a short story. And because she specifically had asked for information about when the novel would sell, it never occurred to her that the new moon hint might pertain to something else. And that's the tricky thing with precognition. We don't always have the full details when we sense the future, and our left brains immediately intercede and start trying to connect the dots about what it may possibly mean. Practice. How to be a precog In the movie Minority Report starring Tom Cruise, three psychics called precogs recorded crimes before they happened for pre-crime authorities who then swept in and arrested the future perpetrator in advance of the crime You may not be as talented as those movie psychics, but there are ways to bolster your precog IQ Remain open to the possibility that you can glimpse the future If you think it's impossible then you're going to prove that belief to be true, at least for you. Your awareness plays a big role. People who are interested in mysteries of the unknown have a better chance of being a precog than those who are overly skeptical, fearful, or close to the possibility. Remembering and recording your dreams is a great starting point. More on that below. You can request dreams about the future. Watch for signs and symbols that appear especially startling ones like a vase falling and crashing, just as you were talking or thinking about something coming up in your life. Try programming a precognitive event. Pose a question about something you want to see in your future. Say it aloud, write it down, or do both. Then pay attention to the first thing you see or hear. Maybe it's the lyrics of a song on the radio, something said on TV, a telephone call. Or maybe it's a pop-up ad on your phone or computer. Whatever it is, try to interpret it related to your question. Signs and symbols. Precognition often comes through signs and symbols. A particular song we hear. A book that falls at our feet. An animal that crosses our path. A sequence of numbers or a name that crops up repeatedly. An event or incident that hits us viscerally. And yes, even through billboards. Synchronicity is often a component. We live in a collective sea of these signs and symbols. Nature, the universe, source, God, whatever you want to call it, constantly chatters to us. But we're so mired in the business of physical life that we don't always hear that voice, or we hear it and ignore it, or we think it and think, yeah, sure, I'm kind of losing it here. You're in your car, maybe you're on a road trip, or picking up your son or daughter from school. Or maybe you're about to back out of your garage to head off to the grocery store, the park, a friend's house. Your car dies. You turn the key, and nothing happens. On the surface, it's an annoying, inconvenient, and common event. But on another level, the abrupt and unexpected nature of the event could be a sign or symbol of something that's about to happen. When our daughter was in elementary school, Rob would take her to school, and Trish would pick her up. On one particular day, She was in the pickup line, and her car suddenly went dead. There she was, the car refusing to start. Cars behind Trish honking at her to move forward. Rob drove over and jumped the battery and followed Trish and Megan home. Once in the driveway, it was dead again. Clearly, a new battery was in order. But was there something more, an underlying message? When we're in the midst of such events in our daily lives, it's easy to overlook them as possibly symbolic but sometimes the meaning pops right out at you. Trish was about to call AAA when she noticed a message on her answering machine from a writer friend, our literary agent of 15 years, who had jump-started our careers, had died suddenly of a heart attack. Stand still. The battery dies. The car has to be jump-started. If there are no accidents, As Robert Hopp theorizes in his book by the same name, then the death of the battery, coinciding with our hearing about the death of this agent, wasn't random. Just how all of us, the dead and the living, connected anyway. How are we connected to the larger world beyond us? We think of it as synchronicity, that phenomenon that exists in the space between what we see and what we sense, that border between what quantum physicist David Bohm called the implicate and folded order The underlying reality, and the explicate, unfolded order, the physical world and everyday reality, the inner, the outer, the non local, and the local mind. Dreaming the future. When we dream, we slip away from the daily world and connect with the deeper order of reality, where past, present, and future blend. In dreams, messages from the future can appear as symbols, or they can be direct and unmistakable sometimes they can be a blend. That was the case of a dream told to Rob by a man who had contacted him because Rob knew one of the women's intertwined in the mysterious saga of famed writer and anthropologist Carlos Castaneda. Like many of Castaneda's avid fans, John firmly believed Castaneda's stories were simply straightforward retelling of actual events rather than semi-fabrications. So when he explained his dream to Rob, It wasn't surprising that he rejected Rob's interpretation of the dream as symbolic. In the dream, John said that his family's cabin was tilted sideways, like the foundation was crumbling, and then it collapsed. Since most dreams shouldn't be taken literally, Rob advised him to look at the symbol of a crumbling foundation. Was there something in John's life that seemed to be falling apart? Unknown to Rob, John and his wife were contemplating a divorce. In spite of the apparent symbolism related to the foundation of his marriage, John remained concerned that there was something wrong with the foundation of the cabin. A couple of weeks later, John contacted Rob and told him that he had driven four hours to the cabin over the weekend. And guess what? Two concrete blocks on one corner had slipped. The cabin really is in danger of tilting and even slipping off its foundation. We've got people working on it this weekend. John added, that he and his wife had resolved their differences and were getting along better. In this case, it seemed that the dream was both symbolic and literal. It symbolized the need for John and his wife to shore up their relationship if they were to remain together. It also alerted John to the deteriorating foundation. His conscious mind might not have registered it, so his dreaming self brought it to his attention. One of the best-known precognitive dreams was revealed by Abraham Lincoln, and it has become an unforgettable part of his legacy. In early April of 1865, he told several people that in a dream he heard strange sounds of mourning in the East Room of the White House. According to Ward Hill Lamone, one of those friends, Lincoln said he came upon his own body lying in state. In his book, Recollections of Abraham Lincoln, 1847 to 1865, Lamon quotes Lincoln from that conversation. Before me was a catafalque on which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards, and then there was a throng of people, some gazing mournfully upon the corpse. Lincoln couldn't see the face, so he asked a guard who it was, the president the garden the dream said 3 days later lincoln was assassinated in his autobiography memories dreams reflections carl jung relates a dream in which he was attending a garden party his sister was there with a mutual friend from the town of basel a woman whom jung knew well in the dream he knew the woman was going to die but when he woke up he couldn't remember who the woman was even though the dream remained vivid in his mind a few weeks later I received news that a friend of mine had a fatal accident. I knew at once that she was the person I had seen in the dream but had been unable to identify. Sigmund Freud opened the door to the scientific study of dreams in his book, The Interpretation of Dreams, in 1899. While Freud was mainly concerned with their psychological meaning, it was Jung who explored dreams as a path to psychic awareness, including precognition. Young believed that, rather than discussing our psychological needs, dreams reveal them. He thought that dreams expose hidden conflicts or problems and offer hints about the future. Hi everyone, Alexis Brooks here from Higher Journeys. As you all know, we are living at a time of profound uncertainty, not only for our planet, but especially for ourselves individually. Like you, I wanted to get a heads up as to what the future holds for me. And so I turned to a trusted psychic advisor from a network that I'd like to introduce to you. Keen is the world's largest online network of spiritual advisors, providing quality psychic advice, love and relationship advice, and tarot readings since 1999. I have to tell you, my experience with Keen was unlike any I've had before. And believe me, with the work that I do, I've come across many psychics on my own higher journey. The moment I arrived on the Keen portal, I was blown away by how seamless and user-friendly the site is. Virtually every aspect of your life questions can be answered by one of the many advisors in their network. I chose an advisor who could share some insight on my career path and what's next for higher journeys. Hands down, This individual was not only caring, enthusiastic, and by the way, really cool, he, shall I say, nailed it for me on so many levels. Not only did he give me what I would say is spot on for what I'd like to do, he spoke about my past as if he knew what I'd already done. This is one conversation that I won't soon forget. Speaking of conversations, Keen has enabled nearly 50 million conversations to date. Again, whether you're looking for advice on your career, your love life, or you're simply looking for guidance during these uncertain times. Keen's trusted advisors are here to help just like they helped me. And get this, they are available 24 seven by phone or chat. Or you can download the Keen app by visiting trykeen.com forward slash higher journeys. That's T-R-Y k-e-e-n.com forward slash h-i-g-h-e-r-j-o-u-r-n-e-y-s. When I wrapped up my session with my keen advisor, I couldn't wait to set up my next session with him. And so I did. When you find the right advisor, developing an ongoing relationship leads to a number of benefits, including monthly intention setting, gaining clarity on the significance of synchronicities, which you know I love to talk about, chakra clearing. There are so many ways your advisor can assist you as you gain insight about your future and your well-being. And here's the best part. You can find an advisor who are priced as low as $1.99 per minute, some of the lowest prices in the industry. Now, here's my suggestion. When you finish listening to our show today, head on over to Keen to get my special offer by visiting the site using my link, trykeen.com forward slash higher journeys. That's dot com forward slash higher journeys. Members of our listening audience can get their first 10 minute reading for only $1.99 using my link trykeen.com forward slash higher journeys. Thanks Keen for sponsoring this episode of Higher Journeys and for making me your newest fan. In two words, I'm hooked. And I guarantee journeyers, you will be too. practice your dreams of the future. We all dream, but we don't all remember our dreams, and we definitely don't remember all of our dreams. Vivid dreams often occur shortly before waking up, and therefore are easier to remember. Most of us spend between 90 and 120 minutes a night in REM sleep, and if we've been involved in high-intensity creative work before we go to bed, that's often where our psychic dreams focus. Some of us ignore our dreams or consider them an unimportant part of life. Precognitive dreams, though, usually stand out from ordinary ones in their clarity, but also in your reaction. You might wake up feeling energized, startled, or surprised. Make an assessment on your own dreaming. Do you remember your dreams? I often remember multiple dreams. I occasionally remember dreams, but quickly forget them. I rarely recall them. I don't believe that I dream. How often do you think about your dreams? Daily? Occasionally? Rarely? Only when I have a nightmare or startling dream? Never. Do you recall any dreams that predicted a future event that occurred? Yes? No? Maybe. The event hasn't happened yet. What value do you place in your dreams? Very important they provide guidance. They are of little importance. I try to avoid thinking about them. Practice. Interpreting your dreams. If your intent is to find out if your dreaming self is prepping you for future events or even revealing what is coming, you need to make a concerted effort to remember your dreams and interpret the symbols. The first step in remembering your dreams is to keep a dream journal or a recording device near your bed. Before you fall asleep, tell yourself several times that you will remember your dreams, especially any dreams related to the future. When you wake up, don't dismiss any dreams as unimportant or nonsensical. Don't make any judgment call. Simply write down whatever you remember. Often, when you recall one dream, a second dream comes to mind. After you've captured your dream, take time to interpret this meaning. See if you can connect the dream events with anything going on in your life. Such dreams are called processing dreams, but they can also provide insight that you might have missed. Look for any metaphors or puns that might pop out. If you dream of a snake slithering through the grass, beware of someone entering your life who might act deceitful like a snake in the grass. Or say you dream that someone gives you a spoonful of cough syrup. As a metaphor, taking your medicine suggests that you must do whatever is necessary to accomplish a goal. Alternately, if you are getting a taste of your own medicine, you soon may be paying the consequences for something you did. Which one applies? Follow your feelings. How you feel about a dream might be as important as its contents. Note your feelings about the other characters in your dreams, as well as the action. For example, does a stranger in a dream Make you feel uncomfortable, angry, frightened, happy, or amorous? Monitor your dreaming self. Pay attention to yourself in dreams. After all, you're always there, either as an active character or as an observer. How do you look? How do you act? If you look older, you could be tuning into a dream of the future. Notice your actions. Could they be revealing something coming up in your life? Look for a message. Your dreaming self might have a message for you, possibly something related to a future event coming your way. It might come as a symbol, or it could be delivered verbally by a dream character. Feeling the Future That's the title of a study that appeared in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in 2011 by Daryl Byrne, a professor at Cornell University. His experiments involved 1000 Cornell students viewing erotic photos that incited them to glimpse the future. The students were shown an image of two curtains on a computer monitor and then they were directed to select the curtain that hid an erotic photo. The idea was that such stimuli normally produces certain human responses. The question was whether the response could be obtained before the stimulus occurred. In essence, the students were asked to feel the future the curtain hiding a photo of explicit sexual activity? The answer was a resounding yes. Across all 100 sessions, participants correctly identified the future position of the erotic pictures more frequently than the 50% hit rate expected by chance. The results were 53.1, considered statistically significant. Ben Gertzel, a scientist who reviewed Burns' experiment for H-Plus magazine, Asked why, if precognition exists, and we are all precogs to varying degrees, weren't the results of the experiments higher? Then Gortzel answered his own question. Of course, outside the lab, people have reported many apparent cases of extremely dramatic psi effects. But in the long history of parapsychology lab research, going back far before Bern to J.B. Ryan's ESP work in the 1930s, shows us that when you bring psi into the lab, it tends to become more of a systematic statistical biasing factor than a source of individual mind-blowing miracle events. Interestingly, when students were asked to find non-erotic photos, their accuracy dropped to about 50%, what would be expected by chance. Laboratory studies of paranormal phenomena have also shown that subjects are less successful when they are not told the ongoing results of their efforts. Instant precognition. Many people have premonitions of events that are about to occur within seconds. Here are a few examples. You intuitively slam on your brakes, even though you've got a green light, and a moment later, a car traveling on the cross street runs a red light. You think of something a moment before another person expresses your exact thought, even though you weren't talking about the subject. You think of an unusual word or phrase, then a moment later, hear the exact same thing on the radio or television or from someone passing by. Planetary empaths. Some people, it seems, have an ability to tune into mass events, happenings that affect large numbers of people before they occur. They don't know what's going to happen, but they know it's going to be earth-shaking, affecting our collective awareness. We've been researching these individuals whom we refer to as planetary empaths since 2011. We've collected their experiences, seeking common threads. An empath is a person who has an ability to tune into another person's emotions and sometimes literally take on those feelings. They feel everything, sometimes to an extreme, and are less apt to intellectualize feelings, writes Dr. Judith Orloff in The Power of Surrender. Let go and energize your relationship, success, and well-being. A planetary empath, on the other hand, is someone whose entire physical being reacts to global mass events that are about to unfold. These individuals are so attuned to the planet that they experience physical, emotional, and psychic symptoms hours and sometimes days or weeks before a natural or man-made disaster. They come from different countries, different cultures, different ethnic and spiritual backgrounds, and a large majority of the ones we've interviewed are women. Their symptoms are most intense just prior to the disaster, and often quickly subside once the cataclysmic event has occurred. Deborah Page, a paranormal researcher and psychic in Pennsylvania, is one of them. Even though I was born intuitive and empathic, nothing prepared me for how those qualities would progress through life, Deborah wrote in an email. In the early 1990s, she began to notice that her intuitive flashes were expanding to include world events. The curious thing was how these flashes translated into physical symptoms. Days before a world event, she would feel a profound grief and heartache that nearly crippled her. Then I started noticing a pattern. The grief episodes would precede an event, either a natural or man-made disaster, and disappear when the event happened. Among them, Princess Diana's death, the beginning of the Gulf War, the shooting at Columbine at Virginia Tech, the 2008 financial debacle. Deborah and her husband, Larry, were out running errands on December 23rd, 2004, when she suddenly experienced a loud, sustained ringing in her left ear. Visions of destruction and flooding swept through her. I knew many would die. I was so disoriented. My husband had to hold me up until it was over. I told him what I was witnessing. I was horrified. I knew it would happen in three days, but didn't know where it would happen. Three days later, on December 26th, a 9.1 to 9.3 megathrust earthquake jolted Sumatra, Indonesia, setting off a series of deadly tsunamis that inundated coastal communities with waves up to 100 feet. At least 230,000 people were killed in 14 countries, including India, Sri Lanka, and Thailand, making it one of the deadliest natural disasters. Divining the Future Divination systems date back into prehistory and today remain popular tools for exploring the future. The tried-and-true systems, Tarot, I Ching, Runes, Astrology, have spawned numerous books, decks of cards, and games. All of them are tools for peering into the future and are accessible to anyone who invests the time and energy to learn the system's unique language. We have worked with and written about a number of divination systems, have gotten readings from psychics who use various methods and tools to predict the future and have studied divination in other cultures. A common thread exists. When you ask your question and the cards are drawn, the runes are thrown, the chart is cast, a moment in time is frozen. The particular probability depicted is the one most likely to happen. However, if you ask the same question a week from now, it's likely you would receive a different answer because probabilities continually change. But regardless of what's depicted, even a fantastically positive probability doesn't guarantee that the event, relationship, or circumstance will occur. It means that on your current path, the potential makes it the most likely scenario. Your free will, intentions, passion, and actions are the triggers. A natal chart in astrology works on the same premise. A natal chart is based on your exact time place, and date of birth, details you or your soul, your higher self, chose before you came into this life. It's a blueprint of your potential, of what your soul hopes to accomplish and experience this time around. The moment when you drew your first breath became a snapshot in time. How that potential unfolds depends on the choices you make. When our daughter was born, Trish noted the exact time she was delivered Three days later, she drove over to a New Age bookstore to have Megan's chart drawn up. This was in the days before PCs were common, and astrology apps were a thing of the future. She knew enough about astrology to interpret parts of the chart herself, but didn't want to read something into it that wasn't there. Virgo's sun and moon, a picky perfectionist with an eye for detail, Pisces rising, artistic talent, imagination, empathic, and maybe some victim stuff going on. Sagittarius at the midheaven, so she may travel in her career. But it was Renee Wiley who really fine tuned Megan's chart. She sat at our dining room table, staring at the chart for a few minutes, then started talking. This Sagittarius midheaven, Trish, she's going to work with animals, maybe as a vet, but certainly in some capacity. She's artistic, intuitive, and her imagination surpasses yours and Rob's. She'll be a communicator might even be a writer like you two, but multi-talented. Uranus, Neptune, and Saturn, in Capricorn in the 10th house. Forget any idea you have of her ever having a normal nine-to-five job. Pluto in the 8th, she'll inherit money. And she'll be on the same page you two are in terms of the psychic realm. And look at this loaded 7th house. This girl is going to have a lot of friends. She's feisty when it comes to work. She'll be disciplined about her pursuit of health. She kept talking about specifics for 20 or 30 minutes, and Trish jotted notes, Now, 30 years later, the accuracy of what Renee said that day is spooky. Megan always has had an affinity for animals. Her first word at seven months was, cat. (laughs) We had numerous types of pets while she was growing up. Cats, dogs, a guinea pig, hamster, bird, and always the animals were her friends. She attended a charter school for acting, starred in a short film she'd written, and became more aware of her artistic leanings. In college, she majored in art and spent a month of independent study at Dolphins Plus, a dolphin rescue facility in the Florida Keys. When she was a sophomore, she and a friend volunteered at an animal rescue facility in Ecuador, where she worked with monkeys, toucans, and other wildlife endemic to the country. Her tenure at Dolphins Plus resulted in a series of dolphin paintings for her final college thesis that are extraordinary in the use of color. Her first job out of college was at Disney, working with dolphins. She hated the bureaucracy, the nine-to-five routine, but fell in love with the dolphins. Today, she's an entrepreneur. She spent four years teaching art classes as an artist for paint night, specializes in pet portraits, is a dog walker and dog sitter, and has just completed her first novel. So, Did Renee read Megan's future, or has Megan simply pursued the potential inherent in her birth chart? Or is it both? It's like that silly conundrum about the chicken and the egg, which comes first. Does it really matter? Einstein contended that our divisions of past, present, future were artificial constructs that all time exists simultaneously, now. And Jung, in his exploration of the human psyche, stumbled upon his concept of the collective unconscious, a repository of experiences, symbols, and knowledge that is common to all people, that is, in essence, timeless. So when we talk about future knowing, maybe we're simply tapping into Einstein's flow of time, into Jung's collective unconscious, into a matrix science still doesn't understand. Maybe those of us who sense the future are the explorers, the pioneers, and what we learn will flow into the collective consciousness of humanity. Practice. stichomancy. Here's a system that's quick and easy and can be surprisingly accurate. Think of a question or issue that concerns you. Take a few moments to focus on it. Then open a book and randomly stab your finger at a line. See if the word or phrase your finger touches illuminates your question or concern. We find that dictionaries work best for us. Some practitioners favor using a Bible or other religious texts. The symbology of the source you use should also resonate for you. In other words, if you've never read the Bible, that probably wouldn't be the ideal book to use. On the other hand, if you're a fairy tale buff, try Grimm's Fairy Tales. Think of your question. Open the book to a random page, and with your eyes closed, point at any spot on the page. See if the word, phrase, or sentence your finger touches addresses your question. You might also take note of the fairy tale involved. If you're using a dictionary, look at the word you're pointing at, the surrounding words, and especially the word that's being defined. Also, note the word above and the one below. You might find further clarification. However, if a nearby word defined on the page is opposite in meaning, that might indicate the matter you asked about could go either way. In any case, if the meaning is ambiguous, close the book and ask again for clarification. You might also rephrase the question so it's more specific. However, avoid asking endless questions or superficial ones. You'll tend to receive superficial answers. Here's an example of reading from a dictionary. The question is, What are the benefits of using divination to seek answers to concerns? Using a dictionary, the word that was randomly chosen was lift off. That could indicate a starting point for finding a resolution to an issue. The word above was lift, and the first definition was raise or remove to a higher position. That could mean that divination is about raising an issue or removing it as an issue by taking a higher stance or position on the matter. Finally, when Rob asked for a clarification, the word he received was mecca, and the definition was a place one aspires to visit. That suggests that divination is one means to attaining what you are seeking, an answer. Is the future fixed? One of the questions that arises regarding precognition relates to free will. If it's possible to glimpse future events, does that mean the future is fixed? Is that true for individuals as well as mass events where many people might somehow see the future unfolding before it happens? On the surface, it seems that if it's possible to see future events, then the future is already set and we have nothing to do but play our prescribed roles. However, when we see potential trouble ahead and take corrective action, the event we glimpsed is either altered or our action allows us to avoid involvement. The late Dr. Ian Stevenson, a professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia Medical School, researched psychic experiences related to the sinking of the Titanic. He found 19 documented cases of passengers who had premonitions about the voyage. Some of the 19 heeded their premonitions and declined to board the ship. Others ignored their premonitions and died. Stevenson detailed the cases in an article published in 1960 in the Journal of the American Society for Psychical Research those passengers who canceled their trips changed their future, an apparent act of free will. But the others among the 19 also had free will, and consciously, or otherwise, chose to ignore their hunches. Those who decided not to sail altered their futures, but had no effect on altering the event itself. So, the sinking of the Titanic could be seen as a mass event, one affecting large numbers of people, that was likely to happen. The question of whether or not we have free will is of particular interest to psychics who portend to see the future. If they can do so, doesn't that mean it's predestined? That's the question that psychic Erin Pavlina, author of the Astral Projection Guidebook, Mastering the Art of Astral Travel, discussed on her website. For the past several months, I've been trying to understand and determine if we are all living scripted lives that we cannot change, or if we have free will and the ability to completely change our fates, it didn't seem to me that both can be right at the same time. Finally, she asks her guides, who provided an explanation. They told her that before we are born, our higher self confers with more advanced spirits who help plan the next life. Major life events will be established, selecting your parents and any siblings, your career, and a life plan. Here's how they explained it Imagine there's a maze in front of you, and it represents your life. At one opening is your birth, and way across the maze is another opening, that is your death. Inside the twisting quarters of the maze are higher self and those other spirits placing major life events. Think of it like placing cheese in a maze for a rat to run around it. Those events are placed there on purpose. This is the predestined aspect of your life. How you end up arriving at each of those events is where free will comes into play. Perhaps mass events such as the World Trade Center disaster and the sinking of the Titanic are chosen by our collective unconscious as a way of jolting us from our narrow focus on the daily world. That jolt enables us to glimpse a larger picture that recognizes we're all interconnected, that we're all on the same boat in an evolutionary journey. Yet, within such seemingly inevitable events, individuals maintain their free will and can opt out of participating directly. Jane Roberts and Seth. For years, author and mystic Jane Roberts channeled Seth, a consciousness no longer in physical reality, as he described himself. Together, they wrote 20 books on the nature of physical reality. In The Individual and the Nature of Mass Events, Seth talks about our physical reality as being divided into what he calls Framework 1 and Framework 2, In the first, our normal conscious daily life, free will is fully operative as we make choices to experience certain relationships, circumstances, situations. But in Framework 2, all the details will be arranged. The seemingly chance encounters, the unexplained coincidences that might have to occur before a given physical event takes place. Seth's Framework 1 sounds a lot like David Bohm's explicate order, and Framework 2 sounds like his implicate order. Bohm theorized that everything, even space and time, unfolded from the implicate. In the creative atmosphere of framework two, all intents are known. No act is private. Each mental act is imprinted in the multidimensional screen of framework two, according to Seth. Furthermore, Seth contends, Your world, then, is the result of a multidimensional creative venture in which each person and creature and each particle plays a living part. In framework two, Each event is known, from the falling of a leaf to the falling of a star, from the smallest insect's experience on a summer day to the horrendous murder of an individual on a city street. All these events have a meaning in as larger patterns of activity. Seth says that pattern is not divorced from your reality, not thrust upon you, not apart from your experience. It often only seems to be because you so compartmentalize your own experience that you automatically separate yourself from such knowledge. Perhaps people who sense the future believe it can be done and are simply better able to tap into Seth's framework too and Baum's implicate order. They do so in ways suited to them as individuals. In an audio clip from the Seth Audio Collection, Volume 1, Tape 2, Selection 1, Excerpt E, Seth said, You form your experience. You form your past, your present, and your future. You are responsible for each daily moment, individually and en masse. En masse, your beliefs bring about the world conditions that you know. Individually, they form your intimate daily life. Your beliefs become reality, what you believe is, and becomes real in your experience. There are no other answers. There is no area in your life to which this does not apply. If Seth is right, then we, the collective consciousness of humanity, create these mass events through our beliefs. And if we create them, then we all have the ability to tune in on them. Some of us tune in through our bodies or through dreams, visions, and other altered states. Mediums and channelers tune in through spirits, and some of us tune in through impulses, hunches, synchronicities.